Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by rockauto.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. And thank you, Alec Webb, and welcome everyone to MotorWeek podcast number 246. And on our Zoom screen this morning, we have our writer, two-wheeling reporter, Brian Robinson. Good morning. Our over-the-edge reporter, Greg Carlos. Hey, hey. And our online content coordinator, Jessica Ray. Good morning. And everybody out there, Happy New Year. This is the first podcast of 2021, and we've got a lot more of these to come, we certainly hope. We're going to talk about a trio of vehicles. We've got a lightning round, a viewer question. We'll see if anybody's got a rant and rave. Uh, So let's get going. Uh, A vehicle that was uh, the first really new vehicle, I guess, all new to be unveiled in the 2021 calendar year, the Jeep Grand Cherokee L. So this is the first, uh, an extended wheelbase, but the first three-row Grand Cherokee, if you don't count the ill-fated Commander. Uh, So here is Jeep basically doing a couple of things. First of all, we've always sort of called the Grand Cherokee midsize. Well, they're now calling it full-size. And it it did grow, obviously. So they're going right up against Tahoe and Expedition and everything else. So it's the first three row. Uh, Their presentation was very thorough. They talked about the third row being very suitable for adults, which the old commander, it wasn't. Uh, They'll have a a regular two row uh, coming out later, but they're going to start with the three row because they claim they're the only full size that didn't have a third row when I guess you're right if you use their definition. So you have to skirt around the marketing talk. But anyway, it's a big deal. Three row Grand Cherokee uh, L with a two row to follow. And you've all seen the photographs and the videos. What do you think? The the L, I guess you could, uh, you know, translate as either like length or luxury because they, they go for the extended wheelbase. They also go for luxury. Right. Um, which we kind of saw it when they came out with the uh, Grand Wagoneer concept, what they were thinking of. Um, but yeah, you, you get that on the inside. Um, so uh, dimensions wise, it's actually a similar wheelbase to a Tahoe. It's actually a little bit longer, but it's the overall length where it's actually not quite as long as a Tahoe. So you're going to lose some of the cargo space uh, compared to it. But as you had mentioned, John, it's that third row leg room that I think is what they were really going for. And it seems like they're, you know, they're competitive in that aspect. Brian? Uh, yeah, uh, they have the same, they face the same problem that every manufacturer does, how to take, uh, you know, a classic Grand Cherokee and make it more appealing to more people, but yet not alienate the people that are looking for a new Grand Cherokee. So it's always difficult. Uh, adding a third row will certainly help. More luxury certainly help. Uh, they kept it legit with off-road stuff. That's a given. Uh, they didn't vary from that. Uh, I, I don't know. I guess I thought it was weird. They came out with the third row version first, but then I think they kind of had to. And that we already mentioned they got the Wagoneer coming out, which is a bigger third row. Like if they wait to bring the third row Cherokee out when they already have the Wagoneer out, then it's like who who would want it at that point? So hopefully they can cash in on people wanting a third row Jeep. Uh, before the Wagoneer comes out. Jessica, first impressions? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely like the 
the updated design. It's not too far from what we've seen, I think, in, in the Grand Cherokee, but it's certainly updated and more modern. Uh, and, and, you know, the Grand Cherokee battles every year with the Wrangler to be Jeep's number one seller. So um, it, it's the, the full-size SUV market all, obviously grows all the time. And um, I imagine there are quite a few people who, who might easily outgrow a Grand Cherokee. I mean, it's a five-seater and a lot of people are looking for yeah. the, the third row. Although I would say a lot of people might not be ready to take that jump to go full size rather than I think a lot of people like the utility of a third row um, to at more of a having the third row of in just in case rather than a fully functional third row. But I mean, mm -hmm. they sell a ton of Tahoes. Uh, you see Tahoes, Yukons on the road all the time. Um, and so I, I don't think it's a bad thing to have another uh, you know, competitor to it. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, to definitely seeing it in person. It's interesting that to me that they're now gonna have essentially two large Jeep SUVs in the showroom at the same time built on different chassis with the Wagoneer basically you know, being on the a full frame and the uh, Grand Cherokee being on a unibody you know, the salesmen are going to have something of an issue there, I think, unless it's unless I'm thinking that the Grand, the Wagoneer is going to be primarily uh, aimed at the upper you know, premium level. But uh, it does seem like two models that serve almost the same market coming online at almost the same time. Brian, you always have some insight to that. Can you no, see, see that? Yeah, it does seem weird to me to have going without a third row this long and now mm -hmm. giving people two to choose from that seem pretty similar in size. Um, I don't know, I guess give the people what they want. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I guess it'd be pricing? interesting. Uh, I'm just gonna say, hopefully the, the current Cherokee, not Grand Cherokee, current Cherokee, could certainly grow a little bit and maybe get in on that Grand Cherokee chassis instead sure. of the chassis it's on now. And maybe that could be a little more legit like it used to be like the Cherokee Sport. You know, maybe we'll see something like that. Yeah, I mean, they made a big deal about, I mean, three four-wheel drive systems, uh, all sorts of uh, accoutrements to make the, the Grand Cherokee L uh, still trail-worthy and all that, trail-rated. So it does look like, it seemed to be that despite the fact that the Grand Wagoneer is built on a body on frame, that they made a big deal about the Grand Cherokee being perhaps the, the more capable of the two, which could be just because it's of the suspension setup, I don't know. But it, it's gonna be interesting to see how they market that and how the dealers are able to um, tell the difference. A vehicle that doesn't seem to have any confusion with it, except for the fact it went away for a brief period of time and it's now back is the 2021 Toyota Venza. Um, a, again, it's a matter of semantics. I say middleweight uh, SUV from Toyota. Uh, I noticed in some of the commercials that they're already doing deals on it, which surprises me a little uh, since it is so new. Uh, all models will be a hybrid, which seems to be the way Toyota is headed. Uh, first impressions, uh, some of you had a chance to drive it. I, I drove it. What'd you think? I spent a fair amount of time in it and it's just Toyota knows how to make a hybrid. Uh, they do a really nice job uh, with 
And I've mentioned it before with how good they are to drive on the highway. Um, very smooth. There's plenty of power. I, I don't really feel like when I'm when in a passing situation, like it's it's searching for any kind of power. I mean, it does use a CVT, uh, but it's it's not an issue. Quiet on the inside. It's near Lexus luxury, I think. Uh, I agree. The the material quality on the inside, the way everything looks, a massive center screen, everything's going that way. And Toyota, you know, um, they're going to cash in on that too, and they do a really nice job with it. Um, it, like they have the, um, I don't want to call it a gimmick because it actually is pretty cool, but the, um, the stargaze roof, uh, that isn't, it's a, it's a fixed panel glass roof, but it doesn't just have a shade. It actually has a button that will frost it over so that there's no light getting in or a very minimal amount of light. And then if you push the button again, then you have full clear view of the sky, which is a pretty unique feature. We haven't really seen it on anything, but essentially like airline windows if you've ever been on like a dreamliner or something like that uh, pretty cool feature but overall a really nice vehicle standard all-wheel drive and it's that uh drive shaftless all-wheel drive so it's there's really no link between the front and the rear other than just wiring um yeah really really nice i think john you you averaged like over 40 miles per gallon yeah. i think i saw yeah the uh i was very impressed with it i mean the the previous venza got old and it was sort of like uninspired on the inside. This one's totally different. Uh, I agree with the Lexus comment. The roof, I guess, the I think the first vehicle that had an opaque changeable roof was a Ferrari. And then there's been, there were a couple of Mercedes uh, along the way, but I don't know that we, I think you're right. I don't think we've seen that on a mass production vehicle, but I'm not sure. How about uh, the other, you other two there, any impressions? Yeah, I'm kind of conflicted. The original Venza, although you say it was uninspired, I thought it was unique in that it was kind of a more of a wagon in an SUV world, giving mm -hmm. you that choice. It had a great ride. I think it had a lot of things going for it. This one now is just another crossover. I think it's now just a two-row Highlander. I think if it would have been a yeah. German company, they would have called it the Highlander Sport or the Highlander <laughs> Coupe, probably. Highlander Good Coupe, point. more like it. Yeah. And... Uh, so I don't, I'm not sure. It is very nice inside. Um, and Toyota is absolutely killing it with that hybrid powertrain, just to echo what Greg was saying there. I mean, it, it drives phenomenal. You don't, you know, you don't mind it being a hybrid and you get great fuel economy, all-wheel drive standard. I mean, it's a, it really is a great package. I, I see what you're saying about the Highlander. It, it is a noticeable step down, though, in size because trying to put my kid's seat in the back there, there is plenty of like leg room and it, it seems spacious enough, but really what, what kills you kind of trying to get in there is the sloping roof line. You mm. lose some space there. Um, yeah. But other, otherwise, I think it is a nice size when we're so used to driving so many subcompact and compact crossovers now. It's nice with, that something feels a little bit more substantial up front and in the back. Jess, anything? I mean, I, I really like the look of it uh very, and very attractive I think. it's very it's very attractive looking and i think there are uh, this kind of brings up that whole argument of this blurring the line of what's luxury uh you know or almost like why step up to lexus luxury when you know you have you have this luxury toyota right here um so i think it's really interesting and i think it won't be the last time we see something like this uh, 
for any automaker because I think there's there's people who who like the finer things in life but maybe might not want to take that step up to move to Alexis or ostentatious. Yes, exactly. So uh, I I look forward to seeing more like this in the future because it's like you can you get you know the hybrid powertrain you get the standard all-wheel drive, a lot of standard features, uh, you know, in a, in a base model. And I think that's attractive to a lot of people. I think, I mean, yeah, I think. Go ahead. It's just exciting that we're now at the point, and I think we kind of maybe overlook it, that we're getting into models that are just hybrids. Like, yeah, standard. That's it. Like, this is your powertrain. You get a hybrid and over 40 miles per gallon in an SUV. I feel like we kind of glance over that. Well, you know that I was just going to ask all of you of your opinions. I'm wondering, I mean, we know what's out there and we always talk about the cutting edge, but if you're the average customer and you go into a Toyota showroom and what have you got now? The, the, um, the Highlander, the Venza, and also the Sienna, all standard hybrid powertrains. Is that right? Not the Highlander. Yeah, yeah I'm not, not sure. Highlander. Okay, so the other two standard hybrid powertrains. Do you think the average customer walking into a Toyota dealership is ready for quote unquote a hybrid or would they rather have just a simpler, you know, uh, internal combustion engine powertrain? I don't know if ready, if the average buyer is ready for it, but I think once they get in it, they might be turned to red like they they might be ready once they leave the showroom or at least you know get in the car and drive it around because it's not um i think it still has a little bit of a stigma the the hybrid powertrain people are unsure of it even if they're just not sure what it is they're just they feel like it's not as good as a traditional engine if they're a traditionalist um but i yeah, i think it won't take much convincing uh, I'm not trying to insult Toyota buyers because I, I am one. I bought Toyotas, but I would say that of all buyers, they're probably the least savvy as far as techno—not uh, technology, but powertrain type, like what engine it has, uh, etc. I imagine that most people going to buy a Venza or a Sienna don't really even know what's under the hood or care as long as it drives nice. Mm. Um, they're going to like it. And I think both of them do that. It doesn't really even seem that much like a hybrid. Pretty much every car stops when you come to a stop. Now the engine shuts off. So that's really not even unique. You got plenty of power. So I'm not even sure most of their buyers will know or care that it's only a hybrid other than getting great fuel economy, of course. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Toyota did, they did a bunch of, you know, research asking people about, you know, the, the hybrid, hybrid powertrain specifically for, uh, you know, when they decided to go all hybrid for the Sienna. And it seemed like people, once they saw it in person, and then uh, I think even drove it, it was hybrid was sort of in the back of their mind, more like the advantages of it rather than uh, any cons of it or, or uh, uh, yeah, any, any cons of it in their mind. So I think, I think it could easily win people over, uh, as long as you drive it. <laughs> you know, I think Brian and your point are very good because obviously people that buy Toyotas are repeat buyers. They're used to, frankly, unparalleled reliability. And so they're saying, I don't care. It's Toyota reliability, who cares? So that's, that's a good point. I still think the hybrid warranty, if I'm not mistaken on 
uh, Toyota hybrid powertrains is uh, the warranty is longer than the traditional engine as well. Well, you've got the anything with a battery gets uh, was 80,000 mile warranty uh, because of uh, not necessarily U.S. rule, but uh, Canadian uh, rules, I think, started that in California. Yeah, I think California maybe started it. Thanks, Ken, or California. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move on to another vehicle, which we drove uh, prior to Christmas, and I think we all were somewhat pleasantly surprised at, although we probably shouldn't have been, the 2021 Acura TLX, their new sedan. Gosh, we're talking about a sedan. You know, it's like, okay, that's, that's no SUV here. Uh, I was, oh, before we leave the, the, uh, the Venza, Come on now, what's the one thing about the interior you didn't like? The lack of a volume knob. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. I okay. didn't want to harp on it too much. I, no, I, but I can feel myself with everybody moving like back. With everybody moving back to manual controls, I was shocked. Yeah. It is odd. Okay, Acura TLX, a really pleasant luxury sports sedan, in my opinion. Uh, what did you uh, folks think of it? I agree on that count. Um, shocking good looks. I mean, compared to the last one, it's like, it, it, it really, uh, what, are they, they, what do the kids call it? Glowing up or something like that? <laughs> yeah. It wasn't bad looking before, but it was a little conservative. It was kind of, uh, Acura had gotten into that whole, uh, you know, backing off of its more extreme styling. But now uh, it's a little more edged out, a um, little more sleek looking. Um, great on the inside my one bugaboo was we had the a spec mm -hmm. and the gauges were like this aluminum look with red uh, numbers and it was really hard to see uh that was really <laughs> and that's really my only gripe with the car it was really nice otherwise yeah the uh first tlx was like a combination of the ilx right. and the tl and it kind of was like uh going into the refrigerator after the holidays and getting whatever leftovers are in there and trying to make something new and great out of it. And it was, it was an okay vehicle. It wasn't great in any manner. And I think the new one seems the opposite of that. It's like the best of everything Acura has right now. It's a brand new chassis. They've got a new engine coming out. You can't get in, in any other Acura Honda yet. Uh, they up the super handling all wheel drive um, handles phenomenal. So it seems like a, the polar opposite of the original. It seems a, uh, I didn't spend a whole lot of time in it. Maybe Greg could talk more about the super handling all-wheel drive, um, but it, uh, it seemed fantastic. The, the um, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't really throw it around a track or anything, but just doing launches at our test track, um, no issues with grip. It just hooks up and goes. Um, it, I mean, I just had something to, I'll let Jessica go while I try to remember what I was thinking of. It's too early to be having that. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. I got another kid on the way, so it's all starting to, to leave me. Brain fade. Yeah. Um, I think one of the, the things I think that surprised me the most was how much I didn't mind the touchpad that controls the infotainment uh, system. Because I, I, when I heard that originally, I think I wasn't exactly thrilled with the idea of using a, a touchpad to control uh, the the screen and, and music and all of those settings. Um, but it was 
I wasn't in the TLX for a super long time, but it was actually really easy to get the hang of. And I think that's really important um, because of sort of how simple uh, Acura's interiors have, have been previously. And um, that touchpad will also sort of reverberate across the, the Acura lineup. We're gonna see it again in the uh, all new MDX that comes out for 2022. So um, yeah, no, I was actually surprised by how much I, I I got used to it very quickly and, and didn't mind it. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't really enjoy the touchpad. Um, I still prefer knobs. But to your point about the um, previous uh, Acura interiors, it seems to me like they're kind of Acura as a whole is getting over the hump where they really kind of got stuck in this like mundane, barely luxury interior. And now they've got the next step where I'm really liking what they have inside the car. It feels really comfortable. Now they're a lot closer to, you know, the, Euro the European brands in terms of luxury Mercedes and, and uh, BMW, I, in my opinion. They've infused that, the, the instrument panel and the center console with an awful lot from the NSX, which I think trans makes the interior look far sportier than we've ever really seen in their products before. And I know they're spreading that around as well. Could be too much of a good thing, but I think it looks good and works pretty well. Okay, and if no one has anything else to say about that, let's move on to uh, our lightning round and it's a current event. Fiat Chrysler Automobiles and PSA Group, normally uh, we say Peugeot, uh, their shareholders have voted to approve a long anticipated merger that just happened. The new company will be called Stellantis. I believe that's the correct pronunciation. Why they can't pick up something that no one has to worry about how you pronounce it, I don't know, but Stellantis will now be the world's fourth largest automaker behind Toyota and Renault-Nissan. What do you think we'll see as changes, particularly to um, the uh, Chrysler, Jeep, uh, and Dodge franchises, and uh, about and as far as the Fiat brands also sold here? So what is Stellantis going to likely do, since it's pretty obvious they're going to be looking to shave money out of the, uh, the system. They already have, in case folks have not kept up with them, uh, you know, they've, they've been expanding for quite a while. And uh, so this is just their latest uh, acquisition. Shoot. The, um, I, I don't think we're gonna see anything right away um, as with these things, it's gonna take a few years before Americans at least kind of see any changes, but the whole idea was for really, I mean, cost savings for everybody. And they're going to start sharing platforms and now pushing for uh, battery electric technology and things like that. So we'll, I would imagine that Americans will probably see some, you know, in the future, a couple more uh, chassis and platforms that are used elsewhere and have been used elsewhere now being used in America, potentially. Yeah, I wouldn't expect any big changes. It's mainly about cost savings, like Greg said. I'm not sure bringing Peugeots over here in the U.S. based on FCA's Fiat and Alfa Romeo sales would be such a great idea. So I'm not sure I would see that anytime soon. I think ultimately it'll be almost like the Cerberus uh, merger or acquisition. Everyone thinks we're going to get all this great technology from Europe. I think it's going to be opposite. I think they want our, especially getting Jeep, getting full access to what yeah. Jeep can do and all that stuff. I mean, they're going to roll with that. And uh, I think it'll probably, 
in the end work out better for them than for us, but um, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I think I agree with, with Brian there. Um, I think it just, I, yeah, a lot of platform sharing, but I, yeah, I don't know how much this is really going to uh, improve you know, FCA so much so, uh, but I guess time will tell what they decide to yeah. sort of. America is just such a different market than the European countries and a lot of other places, a lot of other continents. Well, the crown jewel is in all of this is Jeep. I mean, Brian hit it right on the head. There's so much capability there and it's, you know, such a global brand. It's interesting since they announced the uh, merger, there's a couple of rumors flying around. One is that both the Alfa Romeo and the um, Chrysler brands could be on the chopping block because there's so few models. I mean, let's face it, if they keep doing a big car at, at, at whatever, you know, Stellantis for the US, they've got all the Dodge side that gets all the publicity and the minivan, you can always, they've already done a, a knockoff of the town and country for Dodge again. So a caravan or grand caravan. So that's certainly a possibility, which would be, I think, a, a sad day. Another historic American brand going by the wayside. Alpha, there's an awful lot of Italian emotion tied up with that, so much so that I just read that the Italian, you know, the French government has a piece of the Stellantis Corporation, as they do with uh, Renault. And now the Italian government is thinking about investing in it because they want to a place on the board so they can keep them from moving out of Italy. Uh, so it's a job protection thing. So there's a lot of European politics that are going to direct this company and there really isn't anything from the US. It's gonna be whatever they feel like doing and past experience uh, from looking at how uh, other companies have, particularly Daimler when they owned FCA it, I agree, it, except for putting money in Jeep and, and obviously Dodge trucks, I mean, Ram trucks, it doesn't, uh, I don't think it bodes well for a lot of big improvement here. I mean, tell if you tell me we're not going to have Fiat-based chassis, but we're going to have Peugeot-based chassis, I'm not sure that excites me in one way or the other. So, uh, okay, so very interesting, something to watch. Uh, we have a viewer question. Uh, speaking of Jeeps, from Dustin, uh, our daughter has a Jeep that is a 4x4. Doesn't say what it is, but let's assume maybe it's a Wrangler. But she never uses the 4x4 system. Do you still need to service it? Yes. <laughs> I say that, point. So. I say that as a person who has a Jeep that's a 4x4 and doesn't use the four by four very often. Um, yeah, no, you still have to service it. Although I will say that uh, when I've gone in for routine maintenance things, uh, that's usually included. They'll, you know, replace uh, transfer case fluid, front rear differential fluid, that sort of thing. Um, and it's just important that somebody just takes a look and make sure that everything's okay because what I've noticed is that, well, first, why have a Jeep if you're not going to, if, if you're going to have a four by four that doesn't work? Because that one time that you need it to get out of some 
you're stuck somewhere or you're in inclement weather and you wanted to use it and it doesn't work, then it's like, why have it? So I, I am very much, yes, service it. Perfect answer, really. <laughs> yeah, it's hard, it's hard to say without knowing what Jeep it is. Well, if it's like an automatic system, there's really not much to service. Um, if it is like a Wrangler, like you were saying, I would say the less you use it, the more you have to service it because right. uh, it's not getting used. The things aren't, you know, a potential to rust or freeze up in there. So, you know, the best maintenance is to actually use it every once in a while. Um, that's my two cents. Anything to add, Greg? He stole my answer. He took my two cents. You know, I've got an old Ford Ranger four by four. And once every couple of months, even in good weather, I'll put it into four, it's a mechanical four wheel drive. I put it in four wheel drive and run up and down the driveway once. And then as soon as I get the first snow, I put it in low and run up and down the driveway once. Just, you know, I take careful, I want to be careful that I don't screw it up because it, it uh, you're not supposed to use it on dry pavement. But wait till it rains, so it's a little slick. And just so that things get lubricated, you know, there are probably there are parts in the in the shifting mechanism and everything else, even if they're uh, semi-automatic. So yeah, I'm you know, Dustin, if you don't have your daughter do it, uh, you need to do it yourself and just make sure everything is right. And when you take it in for service, make sure that they just check everything over because that's the last thing in the world you want to get as a phone call as. She's stuck somewhere because the four-wheel drive system didn't work. So it didn't say the mileage, but I no. guess that also is dependent upon the mileage. Like if you only have, I don't know, 30, 40,000 miles, maybe not so important. But you know, I had I have 150,000 miles on on my Jeep, so it's a little bit different. Yeah, but I don't think I'm not sure that matters. You know, if it's sitting out in the weather and like I think Brian mentioned rust. Well, they never had it serviced. Yeah. Oh, I see. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think yeah. they still need to engage it once in a while. And yeah, I haven't looked at it. I mean, all they got to do is every time they change the oil, just have somebody look at it. So, okay, Dustin, I hope that piece of advice helps you. Anybody got a rant and rave this early in the new year? I got a question if you don't. I, I, have, a, I have one, but it's, it's very short and it's just something I noticed recently uh but people I, i'm it's a rant uh the bronco and the bronco sport yep. are two different vehicles totally. they're very very say, but they are different and for some reason every time i post on social media about because we've driven the bronco sport at this point but we haven't driven the bronco people seem to think that it's that they are the same vehicle and they are two different vehicles. The Bronco Sport is not competing with the Jeep Wrangler. It, it, they are just different vehicles. And it's I afford escape with another body and a lift. Exactly. Kit. I mean, it's more than that, but you know, it's it's a Ford Escape-based vehicle where the Bronco is totally different. But yeah. would you say the Bronco and Bronco Sport are different? <laughs> yeah, Brian, they are. Uh, I try to be very clear. I'm I, like very, very clear, but, but some people just can't get it. And I think part of it is the grill, mm. like at a certain angle. They look the like, same. They really do, almost. But it is, a di they're like, 
a, a turbo three in a in the bronco i'm like it's a different it's the bronco sport it's a totally different vehicle anyway that's my rant <laughs> which one well, can know, i take the doors off of <laughs> it, it raises an interesting question because someone mentioned the uh the, the sport label on an suv earlier and nissan has done that with uh what's not the road uh, the one under it where there's two different rogue and rogue, sport. rogue and rogue sport it is rogue and rogue sport okay thank you that was my brain fade uh you know totally different vehicles and they they look fairly much alike to somebody that's not used to seeing them uh one much smaller than the other and and people don't get it of course in that case maybe it's less of an issue here you're really talking about a truck based bronco versus a car slash crossover based bronco sport so the uh, question I had for everybody is, we're now into this pandemic 10 months. Do you think the average driver on the road is more polite or less polite? Or do you see no change in driving habits and aggressiveness? There's been a lot written about since traffic is down, people are more aggressive. But I'm wondering about road manners, letting you in, Got your turn signal on. Has anybody noticed any difference? Uh, I think everybody, I don't know. <laughs> I'm a pessimist, so I don't think it's gotten any worse. It's just always been bad. So you don't think it's gotten any better either? No, it's just, you know, I don't know. People are just kind of oblivious sometimes. And I, I don't know. That's my feeling. How about you, yeah. yeah, I mean, I guess the roads that I drive are still pretty populated with a lot of people. You know, the Beltway, there's always gonna be people driving it. And I certainly haven't noticed a, a, any large difference between how people were dri are driving now and then how they were driving a year ago. Uh, so I, yeah, I don't, I don't see too much of a difference. Brian, anything? I haven't really noticed the change. Uh, as long as you're paying attention to what you're doing out there and not looking at your phone, I'm a, I'm pretty much okay with whatever you're doing. Yes, please. Well, you are, you are the phone. <laughs> I saw a guy driving with <coughs> Tesla. Uh, I guess maybe he got the new full full self drive, and I saw him driving with his phone like this in his hand. Mm. and not on the steering wheel that was really hard i was like really man you have what it is what what did the vanity license plate say though well it was brand spanking new vanity license plate it had a temporary tag on it so he you know that was probably one of the first times he was trying it out too so that was yeah, yeah that's, that, was... that whole autonomous driving thing it's just not there yet folks it mm -hmm. just isn't the reason I ask the question is I'm kind of conflicted by it. Uh, you know, I'm out as much as anybody else. And in one aspect, if I want to do something like get over to the other lane, I find people are a little more forgiving and I'll not necessarily back off, but they won't close up on you, which is pretty frequent around our mid-Atlantic area. But on the other hand, there, since there's less traffic, you see more people taking chances by using the existing traffic as a slalom course as you uh, go around like the interstates. So um, I guess the net result is zero. So like you both, like all of you said. Okay, I think that brings to an end to uh, our podcast number 246. Thank you, Brian, Jessica, and Greg. Appreciate you making 
the time and to all of you out there that have been kind enough to listen and watch us uh, today. Just remember, anywhere there's a media platform, Motor Week is there. We're on broadcast through your local public television stations. We're in cable through the uh, Motor Trend Cable Network, our uh, YouTube slash uh, Motor Week uh, home. Uh, is where all everything we do basically ends up there along with a lot of new content that won't make it on the uh, uh, broadcast and cable platforms for quite a, quite a while. Uh, our Facebook pages, everything we're, we do is the whole idea is to make sure if we do something that, that you, regardless of what your taste is, that you'll be able to uh, to watch it and listen to it. And because of all of you and all of your enormous uh, faith in us and um, attention over the holiday periods, we did gangbusters uh, uh, with our uh, retro review uh, marathons. Uh, thank you all very much. Keep it up. Happy New Year. And thanks very much for being a part and staying a part of Motor Week. You've been listening to the podcast of Motor Week television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by rockauto.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at motorweek.org. And watch Motor Week, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.